I don't know when was the last time that you were on a college campus or a big, busy college campus, but they can be, they can be some neat places, and there are always so many efforts from so many different groups and organizations to make an impact on a college campus. It's like we, we understand that these young adults have so much potential and future ahead of them uh, that there are tons of efforts on college campuses to, uh, to, to make a difference. I saw a story one time about a group of people that went to the center of the, of the college campus and they were giving out handouts. The thing is, is that when college students are busy going from one building to the next or one class to the next, they're usually not interested in handouts. There are credit card companies and protest groups and volunteer groups and there are religious people and all sorts of people that gather on college campuses and are always trying to give out handouts. If you were to go to a college campus this week and walk through the center of it, you would find somebody there trying to hand out things to you. This is very, very common. But what was going on this day was it was a test, and what they were giving out was straight cash. And they gathered right there in the center of where all the busy people went, and they had pieces of paper said, if you will take this paper over there to that tent, we will give you a $100 bill. And the college students were just, and nobody stopped. Nobody took it. It was no thank you. It's like us in the mall when the guy wants to try lotion on me, right? It's like uh, they were just walking right by, no thank you, no thank you. Hey, could I, can I hand you this? No thank you. Can I hand you this? No thank you. And they were just going by. And if they would have just grabbed it and read it, it said, take this paper to the tent for a $100 bill. That's what it was. And very few people were actually doing it. The moral of the story is if they had known what that was, they would have acted differently, wouldn't they? If they had known. See, they thought it was just another credit card company. They thought it was just another protest group. They thought it was just another religious fanatic trying to invite them to get involved in in something. They thought it was something like that, and so they just quickly went on past, but they really didn't know what it was. Had they had known, they would have certainly acted differently. In our passage today, Paul breaks up Philippians and inserts a hymn. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is called the Christ hymn. It is the best passage in the whole Bible on the humility of Christ, on the humanity of Christ that Jesus humbled himself and became a man. This is the best passage in the whole Bible about that. Now, in English through translation, you can't really tell that this is a song, but I assure you this is a song. And most people even think that Paul probably didn't write it. It's a song that the church knew that they were familiar with a little bit, and he has just inserted it right here. If you were to read this in the original language of Greek, you would recognize right away that this is different. It's offset. It's written differently, that this is not from uh, Paul, Paul writing the letter. Paul, Paul knew it. it. It is from Paul, but he inserted this hymn into the letter, and that's fascinating because he's already been talking about in, uh, um, suffering. He's already been talking about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's been talking about humility, right? And here comes this beautiful hymn of how humble Jesus is. Read with me, if you will, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a good passage, what a good song. Can't you see yet again how good of a job Andrew Crawford does knowing that we just sang that song, what a beautiful name it is, and this is the passage we're preaching on? Isn't that awesome? Great job, Andrew. That's good music leadership. He didn't think, what songs are we gonna sing today where they think I'm great? What songs are we gonna sing today that everybody loves? What songs can we sing today that present the truth of the word of God? I didn't tell him that. He did that on his own. That's, that's excellent leadership right there from Andrew. This passage, um, for me to write a song, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Now, now is a good time for me to remind you all that, that, that the Bible teaches for us and it shows us that what you believe affects how you live. Your living is very closely connected to your beliefs. Not just for religious people, not just for Christian people, but for everybody. What you believe about God changes the way you act and live. Today's passage is a good one for us to see what we believe specifically about Jesus. Number one today, Jesus is God. Number one, Jesus is God. You need to know this and you need to believe this. Jesus is God. Right here, we have the example to the church in Philippi that they are, the same to have, they are to have the same mind, the same attitude, the same outlook, the same disposition, the same focus, the same perspective in life as Jesus does. And then from verse five, he gives us the example of what Jesus' mindset was. And he's going to speak to his humility. But in order for us to really grasp how humble God, how humble Jesus is, you have to understand that he is God. And that's where he goes here. Look at verse six. Who though he was in the form of God... That is not saying the shape of God. That word form there is speaking to the substance of God. The very thing that God is, Jesus is. What we know God to be, Jesus is. The fullness of God is inside of Jesus. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. We are a people that believe in the Trinity. We believe that God is one person and God exists we believe that God is, there's one God, and God exists in, in three persons. He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. All right? And we believe that. And we believe that all three of those are the one God. They are equal, they are one and the same. Okay? What He is showing us here is that God became a man. I'm not going to talk too much today about the incarnation, but this is a passage that speaks to help us shape all that we believe about the incarnation. The incarnation is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God became a man, right? He was born of the Virgin Mary. What, what was inside of Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. God made her pregnant. God took on flesh. 
This is what the Bible teaches. Of course this is supernatural. Of course this is spiritual. We are believers in God and his truth and his miraculous, glorious, divine ways. We are. There are going to be things in our lives, in our faith, that worldly people who do not believe disagree with. There are going to be things that people are going to say, y'all are crazy, y'all are ridiculous ridiculous if you believe that. I'm shaking my head at you because you believe that. And we are able to say, okay, we can agree to disagree. I understand that you think I'm dumb or foolish. These are some of the things that we believe. And this passage here in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is about that. So our first point here today is that Jesus is God. This is what he means. He's setting up to emphasize the humility of Christ, but he does it by pointing out the divinity of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, the very substance. I want to show you in just a few places, okay? We already read John 1 today, but let me read it to you again, okay? John 1 1 says this In the beginning was the Word, talking about the beginning of time, the creation, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the very beginning, when there was nothing, and God decided to create, the Word was there with Him. Later on in verse 14, it tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The Bible teaches us that the the living word, the incarnate word, the internal word is Christ. And in verse one, what John is saying as he begins his gospel is the apostle John is wanting you and I to know that Jesus is God. The Word is God. The Son is God. He was there with God in the beginning. This is what John wants us to understand. We know this because John then goes on throughout his whole gospel and keeps emphasizing more and more that Jesus is God. It is in John where Jesus is quoted to have said, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10. It is in John where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And you know that God told the people, God told Moses in the book of Exodus that his name is I Am. And Jesus says before Abraham was, which was hundreds of years ago, I Am. John is teaching us through and through that he, Jesus is God. Okay, well, let me show you another passage in Colossians. It's the, it's the book right after Philippians. For me, it's literally just one page over and I'm at Colossians 1. This is Paul writing to a different church. He's wanting them also to understand that Jesus is God. In in Colossians chapter one, he writes in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. So what he's teaching us there is that you cannot see God, but God became a man so that we could see God. To see Christ is to see God. Now we don't have Christ here anymore because he has already ascended and gone back to God. What the Bible is teaching us here is that when somebody sees Christ, we have seen God. The firstborn of all creation, verse 16. For by him, look at this, all things were created. Jesus is the creator, he's teaching. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Does everybody see that? Jesus is the creator who created everything, who created everything for himself, it says here. Verse 17, 
And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, Jesus is. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Look at verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Inside of Christ, you have all that there is in God. And through him, to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is God. He is divine. You need to believe that. I know it is very common for people these days to to be lazy in their thinking. And so we say, I don't don't really know about that or it's not that big of a deal. I I just know that I believe something. Let me encourage you. I'm okay with you being lazy sometimes, but do not be lazy on what you believe specifically about Jesus. Believe this book. Believe that he is God. He is divine. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him. He made peace with the world and with sinners through the blood of his cross. He, as Philippians 2 says right here, verse 6, was in the form of God, the very substance of God. Jesus is God. Number two, though, Jesus is man. And this is really where Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is taking us. Jesus is man. He is is a human. Look what he says. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient being found in human form. Jesus, who is God and God's son, is also Jesus, the man. He is truly the God-man. When God made Mary pregnant and she gave birth to Jesus, we had here on earth God in human form. And we know a little bit about that, right? There's a little baby with them. We've got a few passages about him being a baby. Y'all are familiar with those? We read them all at Christmas. And then there is one single story about him as a 12-year-old, right, where he gets lost. And then we know nothing else about him until he began his ministry at roughly age 30, right? And then we have three years of, whole, of a whole lot of stuff reported to us about Jesus. Not only in this book, but there are lots of other books that talk about Jesus as well. And then we know that Jesus was a real person. Now there, we can talk about how he, he got tired at times, he got hungry at times, he cried at times, he felt pain at times. There are lots of ways that we can see that he is a person. And what Paul is pointing out here, this song that's pointing out here to us, is that we see the humanity of Jesus in his humility. This passage is really on the humility of Christ. He did not think that he should be acting as a man like God, although he was God. He did not count, he did not regard 
being equal to God as a man as something that he should do. So he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He denied himself. He submitted to the will of his father. He emptied himself and became a servant. He was a servant to all. Isaiah describes him over and over again as the suffering servant. To know Jesus is to know a man who was constantly putting himself in position to serve. He washed feet. He fed people. He cared for the sick. He loved kids. As a busy man, he took time for people, right? Well, you see this when you study Jesus. He truly was a servant. We don't see pride in Jesus. We see humility. He humbled himself. He was born in the likeness of man. I want to read you another passage. This is one that you should be familiar with, but I want to read it to you in light of this. This is Isaiah 53. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. This is Isaiah describing what this suffering servant would be like because he had not come yet. Remember, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. He is speaking to what God's Savior would be like. Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, And like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is a description of Jesus. A prophecy of what the coming one would be like, and it's him. Anybody who reads that passage would say, wow, that's unfortunate. That's not good. That's lowly. That's humble. And you're right, it is. That's Jesus. Jesus is the most humble person there has ever been. When we read about the humility of Christ, we are to be challenged to be a humble people ourselves. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13, Jesus says to them while he's doing that, and remember, that is the night before the crucifixion. It's a big deal. And he washes their feet. They protest and say, no, you're not going to wash our feet. We should be washing your feet. Jesus says, no, I'm washing your feet. Jesus says to them in that moment, no servant is greater than his master. That's John 13, 16. What he's saying to us, when you recognize what Jesus is like, and you know that he is your Lord, King, and Master, you are not greater than him. If he is humble, we should be humble. If he cares, we should care. If he goes this direction, we should go this direction. If he wants the nations to know him, we should want the nations to know him. No servant is greater than his master. If Christ is a picture of humility, then those who know Christ should be a picture of humility. 
I want to remind you what humility truly is. It is not thinking less of yourselves. It is thinking of yourselves less. If you've not heard that in a while, then that is a good reminder. I know you've heard it before. It is not thinking less of yourself, like I'm really not that nice, I'm really not that smart, I'm really not that good, I'm really not that pretty, I'm really not that cool. It's not that. That's false humility. That's an attempt for you to try to knock your pride out of the way, but there's still a pride there. That's a false humility. True humility is when you don't even think about yourself. You're not even thinking about whether you're smart or whether you're wealthy or whether you're successful or whether you're pretty. You're not even thinking about that. You're thinking about other things. You're thinking about others. You're thinking about God. That is humility. The person that is so wrapped up in themselves but is constantly trying to tell themselves that they're not great is not very humble. Now, they may be depressed because they think about themselves so much and they know they shouldn't think about themselves so much so they talk bad about themselves all the time, right? And there's a lot of that going on these days. I don't mean they're walking around going, I'm so awesome. But they are in their mind trying to not think about themselves but really all they think about is themselves. And so they're a head case or rather, a heart case. True humility is when you think about yourself less. Jesus, as you study the Gospels, is concerned about being obedient to his Father. It is my will to do the will of my Father, he often says. So Jesus is God and Jesus is man. We have humility in this. And so it is a very, very key doctrine or teaching point for us Christians that Jesus is both God and man. Let me read you a few quotes. From R.C. Sproul, it says, all that is in us as well as all that is in God is and always will be truly and distinguishably present in the one Christ. All that it means to be human and all that it means to be God is in Jesus. Does everybody understand that? Now that is huge. That is so very important. Throughout the history of the world, there are so many people that do not believe that. That's important. He goes on to say this. The incarnation means that the Son of God has only one person existing in two natures. And there is nothing lacking from his human nature except only sin. Jesus, the one person, has the two natures of God and man. And we believe that. And in order for us to really understand his humility is to understand how great he is. I've already said that he is the most humble person ever, but he is also the greatest person ever, Jesus is. He was there before there was anything. He's the creator. Remember Colossians 1 says that he holds all things together. Some pretty big power. Jesus in the Great Commission reminded us that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of authority, right? And yet he does not consider that a thing to be grasped in his humanity, so he emptied himself. There was a time where people did not recognize him and they made fun of him. There was a time where people wrongly accused him. There was a time where people spit in his face. There was a time where people mocked him, right? And he easily could have reminded them You shouldn't do that to me. But because of his humility and his submitting to the Father's plan, 
because redemption was so needed, Christ humbled himself and moved faithfully toward the cross. If you look back to Philippians 2, this is what he's saying. Verse 8 says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Now I want to stop right there. It's just a little side note because I'm so wrapped up in parenting these days. One of the best pictures of humility is obedience. That's a good word for every one of us. If you can't listen to your boss, your coach, your teacher, your instructor, if you've got the attitude, ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing. And you don't talk to me like, if, if, if that's you, check your humility. Can you say yes, sir? I never forget when I was in high school, when I, I, try, I used to try to stop by my dad's work. He worked in a factory. It was loud in there. You had to wear earplugs. It wasn't good for me to stop by. He hated when I stopped by, but I'd like to every once in a while. And my dad was a grown man, 40, 50 years old, something like that. And when his boss spoke to him, I heard my dad say, yes, sir. My dad was 40, 50 years old. With a good job, good career, all that. Yes, sir. That's, that's humility right there. That's, that's obedience. Doesn't mean he's weak. Doesn't mean he's soft. He didn't say yes, sir, to me when he was talking to me. He didn't say yes, sir, when he was you know, at a restaurant or something like that. But when he's answering to his boss that gives him the orders on what he's supposed to do, yes, sir. Nice little side note for us right now, wherever you're at in life, especially for our young people to understand, Jesus became obedient as a picture of his humility. Obedient to God. If you want to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, if you want to be more humble, work for obedience. Instead of trying to do what you want to do and live what you think is right and decide what you think is best, humble yourself before God and be obedient to what God says to do. This is true humility. Christ did it as well. But look what it says. How far did he take his obedience? It says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient Look at this, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is man. Number three, the God-man died for us. Man, this hymn is teaching us something, is it not? You have the key heavy doctrines, the eternal doctrines of what the Bible teaches, of what God wants people to believe wrapped up in this Christ hymn of Philippians. Many people would say that this is one of the best passages in the entire New Testament, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. The God-man, Jesus who is in the form of God, Jesus who is in the form of man, both of those are there. Jesus died for us. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What humility. Why? Why was he that obedient? Why did he have to take the obedience that far? How long do you ride out faithfulness if you're willing to be faithful? If you've been married 40 years and it's been a long 40 years, should you give it up the last 10 and still call yourself faithful? 
If you know what integrity is and word is bond and hey, hey, what you say and keeping your word reflects your character. And if you've been that type of a, a man or woman for most of your life, when you speak, man, you keep your word and you aim to keep your word. And when you don't keep your word, you're quick to apologize and say, hey, hey, I'm sorry about that. I told you one thing and, and, and I didn't stick with it. That's, that's my fault. If your word means something to you and you've lived that way, but since you've lived that way for so long, now you're just going to forget it. Now you become a, a, a fake or a, or a phony or a hypocrite or a, or or a talker, or inconsistent. Are you still considered faithful? No, you're not, and you know that. We could go on and on with what it means to be faithful. And in Christ, the God-man, we have faithful obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because here's why. The world has sinned against God and we have put ourselves under the curse of God because of our sins. And the only way to escape that, to get out from that, is through God's great love for us who sent his son to die for us. What we see in this God-man's faithful, humble obedience to his father is the fulfillment of God's plan to save the world. If you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven, if you want a clear conscience, if you want eternal life, if you want to go to heaven, you must be thankful for the God-man's humble obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is what he did for you. Jesus, the God-man, died for us. It's a passage on his humility, but we see his humility at peak point because he never quit. And every one of us, myself included, we say, how much longer? How much longer? The other day I asked one of my kids to empty the dishwasher. That takes all of about two minutes, right? And they got the top emptied, top, top rack, and they moved on to the bottom rack, and they said, can I stop? I thought, man, Jesus finished his obedience. Jesus stayed faithful to the point of death. And it wasn't one of those nice deaths like, man, I'll die for you in a quick bullet. It wasn't one of those nice deaths where you, fall asleep, where you fall asleep and die in your sleep. That's where everybody wants to go, right? It wasn't that. It was the worst death you can imagine. It was, hey, let's set you right outside of town so everybody can see. Let's strip you naked. Let's beat you raw. And let's nail you to a cross so everybody can laugh at you. And then let's make it take a long time. He was on a cross about six hours. Jesus, faithfully, humbly obedient to the Father's plan because of God's love for you, the God-man, the most glorious being there is, Jesus, became the most humble being there can be for us and gave his life for us. That's what this is teaching. But this passage doesn't end there. Number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is man. Number three, the God-man died for us. But lastly, he will be worshiped. Verses six through nine, look here, six through eight, are all about what Jesus did in his humility. Notice this. Six through eight is all about what Jesus did in his humility, and we love that, and we are drawn to that, and we admire that, and we study that humility of Christ. But verse 10 tells us what God does now as a response to what Jesus has done. Verse nine, you have therefore... And this is where the passage really looks up. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Right? 
God has highly exalted him. God has taken his son and placed him on the pedestal of all pedestals. He sits enthroned above creation. He is worthy. He is the one. God has highly exalted him. And God has now bestowed on him a name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is going to happen. That is every single knee. The knees that are here now, the knees that are dead and in the grave, the knees that are coming in the future. Every single knee and every tongue, every tongue that's here now, every tongue that's in the grave, every tongue that's in the future. Every single tongue will speak, will know, will declare Christ is King. He is Lord. He is glorious. Everybody will. That is coming. God, because of what Christ did through the cross, through the, through the resurrection, through the finished work of salvation, God has now taken him and put him in position, highly exalted him, so that through the work of Christ, everybody in the world will be saved or not saved. Every single individual must decide how are their sins going to be forgiven. Will you believe that God loves you and forgives you through what Jesus did through this awesome God-man, and will you trust that? Will you turn to God, or will you not? But what will be very clear at the end, and there is coming an end, there is coming a day, the Bible says, when every individual will know this and will deal with this, either out of the love they have for God or through the judgment where they are shown that the God-man is glorious and loves them. He will be worshiped. Now, one neat study, just to get you all thinking here, is what is the name? I think your first read through it, you just think that it means the name Jesus. But on deeper thought, I think it's now referring to the name Lord that God has given to Jesus. So that his name is Jesus. That's his birth name. That's what the angel told Joseph to name him. You're going to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins, right? Matthew chapter 1, you remember that. But the name that, that, that God has bestowed upon him, the name that is above every name, is that Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not enough to believe that Jesus is Jesus. It's not enough to believe that, that Jesus is a real person. It is to believe that he is Lord, that he is the risen king and that he reigns. And what the Bible is showing us here is that the God-man is so glorious, but he became so humble and lowly that he died for us. And for you to see that and know that and believe that should move your heart to saying, I know one day I'm going to bow and confess, but I'm not waiting for that day to bow and confess. I want to bow to him and confess to him now. He died for me. He loves me. In a world where we are let down all the time, he does not let us down. He is our Lord and we can trust him. One commentator says, the New Testament forbids worship of angels. You do not worship angels, but it commands the worship of Jesus. Outspokenly, it presents the divine human savior as the proper object of faith, hope, and love. A religion without this emphasis cannot be Christian. We worship Christ because he deserves it, because he gave himself for us. Because he is worthy.
This is a hymn, again, you've heard me say that many times. A hymn that shows Christ was in the form of God, Christ was in the form of a human, that God-man died for us, he will be worshiped. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Will you believe that? You know, at the beginning of this message, I told you about a college campus and the give-outs, and if they had known, they would have acted differently. I also saw a video recently of Cristiano Ronaldo, who is a famous soccer player, extremely, extremely successful and wealthy. He did one of those things where he dressed up and put on a sweatsuit and put a beard on and made himself look overweight, and he was out in the middle of town uh, kicking around a soccer ball by himself. And there were people going crazy all around town, and nobody wanted to play soccer with him. A kid would walk by, and he'd say, hey, come play with me. They'd say, no, thank you. Some other people would come by. Soccer players walked by. He said, yeah, you want, you want to kick around a little bit? No, thank you. You couldn't get anybody to play with. This went on for a good, a good half hour. No, just come play with me a little bit. And nobody would. But then he started taking off the clothes, and taking off the weight, and took off the mask. And within seconds, thousands of people filling the entire city to be around him. If they had known who he was, they would have acted differently, right? No doubt about it. Folks, Philippians 2 is teaching us if you get to know who Jesus is, it will impact you. It will change you. You will act differently upon knowing who he is and what he's like. The most glorious and most deserving person our Savior Jesus became the most humble for us. Will you believe him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this great passage. God, may it be that we are living our lives, that we're, living, that we're not living our lives like you don't matter. May we not be indifferent to that. But Father, thank you that the book of Philippians really does speak to us where we're at. God, thank you for humble obedience. Father, we pray that you would lead us now to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.